and welcome everybody to the Padres Mission Podcast. My name is Fernando Mendez. You are tuned in once again to the Padres Mission Podcast. Now, why do we call it the Padres Mission Podcast? Well, the home of any friar is a mission. And this right here is your home for Padres news, events, and hot takes. I'm joined here by Andrew. Andrew, go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, thanks, Fernando. Uh, so uh, my name is Andrew. I've been a Padre fan for about 20 years. I started following the Padres in uh, 1997. Uh, that's when they, you know, had Tony Gwynn, Ken Caminetti, uh, you know, it was peak Padres time, at least in my life. The whole city was wild about them, and I just got swept up. And I've been following, you know, following them pretty closely now for about the last 20 years. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to be on the podcast, and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. I mean, so far, I mean, you've been a, a great addition for what you've gotten to do so far for the team. So uh, thank you very much in advance for that. I've enjoyed having you so far, and I bet the uh, listeners are going to enjoy having you around as well. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, dive into all that boring stuff first. Um, so our email, if you guys want to reach out to us, uh, is PadresMissionPodcast at gmail.com. Any kind of feedback you guys have that can make our show better, we appreciate it. Uh, any and all feedback, uh, no such thing as bad feedback. So we'll thank you guys in advance for that. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, that same email, podcast at gmail.com, is going to be the best way to go ahead and uh, reach out to us about sponsoring us. Um, we also have exciting things on the horizon, folks. Uh, not only do we have a, a brand new co-host to uh, what we're hoping is going to be a wonderful show, we also have some exciting guests um, that are, uh, you know, Coming up pretty soon. I don't want to give too many uh, details on that just yet, uh, but uh, trust me, exciting things on the horizon. Andrew knows all about that, so we're looking forward to getting that started for you guys. Uh, also, look for our episodes on Mondays. I know our podcast has been a little inconsistent as far as days being released. That's uh, been on me, but we're going to try to go ahead and stick to Mondays. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't release a podcast if some new and exciting news pops up. Uh, Potters are linked up to a bunch of different things right now. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we'll uh, shoot those out as necessary as possible. All right. So uh, I do want to do a, a little bit uh, of something fun here. Um, so Andrew gave a little bit of a description about yourself. Uh, Andrew, uh, what's your favorite Padres jersey that the team's ever worn? Oh, definitely the brown and gold. I mean, you know, that's how, that's the standard favorite for the Padres fans. But outside of that, oh, I think it's the – uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> For whatever I mean, reason, he's always hated the brown. He's made that pretty clear to everybody. <laughs> hey, yeah, right. Yeah, he's had some uh, pretty unkind things to say about it. But he, I mean, you got to give it to him. He finally turned to it. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's uh, what you want out of your uh, head honcho. Um, okay, so a couple more fun questions before we dive into the meat of the episode. Um, favorite Padre of all time? That's not in the Hall of Fame. That's uh, not in the Hall of Fame. All right. Yeah, so uh, I, I figured that would have probably been the answer either what Tony Gwynn or uh, Trevor Hoffman. So uh, yeah, probably uh, Steve Finley. Uh, you know, watching him out in center field in the in the 90s was, was was amazing. The guy could do it all. You know, hit for power, great defense. He had speed. Uh, he definitely got me excited as a, a young kid. Also an angel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. I think he was also an Oriole, too, because I had a, a buddy who's an Orioles fan. So uh, we always talked about how he played for all three of our favorite teams. So I'm pretty sure he was an Orioles as well, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, in the early 90s. And then uh, he also played uh, for the Diamondbacks for a while. Oh, okay. There you go. All right, and last question. Um, so if you're at uh, Petco Park, what's your favorite place to sit? Oh, uh, probably behind home plate, uh, I'll be honest. That's just my uh, – I like to be down close to the field and see the whole view of the of the Petco Park, especially uh, the Metal Supply Building in left field. Yeah, that was one of the uh, the cool things. I remember uh, when I first uh, laid eyes on a uh, Petco Park, uh, they did this special right after they closed Qualcomm on uh, Fox. What was it? Uh, Channel Four, San Diego, or something? Yeah. And that's what it used to be. And I remember they did this whole special where they like uh, drove home plate from uh, Qualcomm Stadium to uh where home plate stands now at petco park and um i remember uh, seeing like the western metal building and like wondering like what the heck is that i remember like <laughs> it was so quirky back then but i mean now it's something that's cool and it's unique not a lot of stadiums have an old building just 
sitting in the outfield. It's crazy. Yeah, just built right into the stadium. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those uh, quirky San Diego things, right? But, I mean, hey, I mean, I think people are going to love it, so. Yeah, definitely. All right. All right, so you guys uh, got to uh, meet uh, Andrew. We got uh, all that uh, boring stuff done in the middle. So uh, let's get to the exciting stuff and talk about today's podcast. Now, today's podcast uh, is going to be similar to what we did on Episode 5. If you guys have not gotten a chance to listen to Episode 5, I highly recommend it. Now, uh, this was posted on uh, the Arizona Coyotes Facebook page, uh, and it was uh, Name Your Favorite Player that uh, for whatever reason just never amounted to anything um i decided to post that on the padres fans uncensored page and the padres subreddit and i got a huge amount of responses so i made a uh, episode about that that was part one episode five once again if you haven't gotten a chance to listen go ahead and tune into that episode and come back to this one um now quick disclaimer before we jump into it once again this is not a piece that is intended to bash anybody if your favorite player is on this list and you're offended that they are, I apologize. This is just meant to be fun. So, uh, yeah, we're not out here to uh, make anybody angry. We're not here to insult any players. If you know anybody who played on the team that might be on this list, once again, we're not here to bash them. We're just here to do this for fun. Uh, a lot of these players were my some of my favorite players growing up, and I'm sure they were for Andrew as well. So we mean no disrespect by this. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we will dive into that right after this. All right, so before we get into talking about that whole quote-unquote bust situation, I hate calling it that, I just don't know what else to call it, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the winter meetings. Now, I understand the winter meetings are overall a baseball thing, not just the San Diego Padres directly, but this winter meeting was held here in San Diego, for those of you guys who did not know, and I think this was the most exciting winter meetings we had in a long time i mean andrew wouldn't you say so oh yeah definitely i we've never seen uh you know such big free agents sign this quickly into the winter meetings yeah. the last few off seasons they've been moving back further and further you know almost towards spring training yeah i know last year was flat out ridiculous i'm sure most baseball fans will tell you that but uh, yeah, this year was incredible. I mean, what back to back to back days having the top three free agents sign. Well, I mean, no, Strasburg was a free agent. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he opted out. And then, uh, yeah, you're right. Back to back back days. We had December 9th, Strasburg signs for seven years, 245 million dollars with the Nationals. And, you know, at the time, the largest contract ever for a pitcher. Then, you know, the very next day, Garrett Cole signs his nine-year, 324 million dollar contract with the Yankees. You know, shattering Strasburg's record. And then follow that up with uh, December 11th, and Rendon signs his seven-year, $245 million contract with uh, the Angels. So, you know, very eventful three days. How do you think uh, the dialogue was between Scott Boris and uh, Steven Strasburg? Because, I mean, obviously, I mean, Steven Strasburg has to know that Garrett Cole is going to make, make more money than him. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it. But... Can you just imagine the conversation between Strasburg and Boris about that? Like, hey, Stras, I just got you this huge contract. You know, Steven Strasburg obviously was excited for him and the well-being of his family and the prosperity of his family for, you know, years to come. But literally the next day, Garrett Cole's, you know, contract shatters his. It's. Can you just imagine what that conversation must have been like? Yeah, I mean – yeah, you're having this great news, and you find out the you know your rival free agent pitcher gets seventy five million dollars more than you. So I mean, maybe a little bit of a blow to the ego, but I have to imagine that Strasburg recognizes that Garrett Cole is like a step above him. So you know, maybe he took it in stride. I mean, in all fairness, Garrett Cole is probably the biggest free agent that's been available in quite a while. I mean, maybe some people would make the argument of Bryce Harper, but I mean, I would have, I would imagine at least in my world, that Garrett Cole is kind of similar to the LeBron James free agency of, you know, when he went to Miami, you know, it was kind of that caliber. It was huge. Everybody wanted that person. He was the guy. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you're talking about Cole, who just set the record for, uh, you know, strikeout percentage per nine innings. He was, uh, you know, striking out, you know, somewhere what in the vicinity of, what, 38% of the batters that he faced, somewhere in that ballpark. And, 
So, I mean, you're talking the most dominant free agent pitcher in a long time, at least since someone maybe like Randy Johnson or Pedro Martinez. So you're expecting him to get this kind of contract. Yeah, I mean, his talent, I think, at least at the current moment, is I mean, it's the top of the game. I mean, he's – no, there's no argument about it. I think he's the best pitcher in baseball. I mean, what other name would you throw out there who's better than Garrett Cole today? Today? Uh, yeah, I can't think of anyone. At least no one is dominant. I, I know he just lost out to his uh, ex-teammate Verlander for the Cy Young. But I, I think you'd be hard-pressed to say that you know Cole wasn't on another level last year over Verlander. I think uh, Verlander's uh, no-hitter was what kind of brought him up and gave him that Cy Young. Yeah, I mean, if I had to pick a pitcher to some organization around, there's nobody I'd pick before Garrett Cole. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, look at the Yankees. They went well over the luxury tax line. I mean, to the point where if they stay where they're at, right, for every dollar over it, they have a 20% increase in uh, luxury tax plus an additional 12%, and they're losing 10 spots in the draft. So, I mean, yeah, they, they're they risking a lot for them. Yeah, I mean, that's nothing if you're the Yankees, though. I mean, just, just another day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when the especially with all that TV money revenue that they have coming in and just being the Yankees. Yeah, they'll be fine. Yeah, yeah poor Steinbrenner is going to have to uh, go on the uh, side of the freeway there and uh, ask for uh, traffic or ask for uh, for money on the side of the uh, traffic-covered roads, huh? Yeah, right. He's going to have to get some spare change for gas for his Rolls Royce. <laughs> that runs off of uh, Orphan's Tears. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, life, you know, life's pretty good for a Yankee fan. Like they, they shouldn't be complaining about anything. Yeah, right. But they do, they do. Um, so uh, we talked about Strasburg. Well, you talked about Strasburg, Garrett Cole, and Rendon all getting huge money. It's a great day to be Scott Boris. Now, out of those three, who do you think will have the biggest impact for their respective club? Uh, for their respective club, I mean. The popular answer is probably Garrett Cole, but I think actually uh, Rendon. If you look at the third base production for the Angels last year, I, it was ranked in, I think, OPS and wins above replacement, like close to last in the league, maybe 29th. So bringing in a guy that's going to you know, put it up like close to six wins above replacement for at least the next few years, you're talking you know, a jump in five wins a year for the team. And while Garrett Cole is a huge upgrade for the Yankees, uh I don't see that type of a difference between him and whatever position he was replacing, you know, the player he was replacing in the rotation. So for me, it's definitely Rendon. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, we, we didn't say anything about Strasburg, but I don't think it's practical at all to think that the nationals are going to have as good of a season as they did this year. Um, I, I wouldn't mind if they did. They were a great club. They have very respectable players. It's just a team that doesn't have a lot of drama. They just kind of come, they do the thing. They play great baseball, but Rendon was, arguably the biggest piece to that puzzle you know if they would have brought if they wouldn't have gotten Strasburg back either and they would have lost Rendon forget it the Nationals probably would have been struggling for quite a while but um Garrett Cole to the Yankees obviously that'll pay dividends for the Yankees for at least the next couple years um the Yankees were a piece maybe too shy so you know we'll see how they do but I'm expecting the Yankees to do what the Yankees do unfortunately um, you know, I know a lot yeah. of Padres fans hate the Yankees too, because the '98 Padres were arguably one of the best National League teams in quite oh, a yeah. while. And then they, <laughs> I, they come across a 114-win Yankee team and just get steamrolled. That was a, a lot of fun to watch back in the day. Yeah, right. They arguably played one of the best teams of all time, which was that Yankees team. So, you know, yeah. sorry for being honest, they probably were one of the greatest teams of all time. Oh Let's yeah, face e- easily. Back. Yeah. Yeah, they just uh, walk through the postseason. That'd be a fun idea for an episode. We should cover each of the World Series that the uh, Padres were in in depth. I feel like that'd be, a, that'd be a good time one day. So we'll talk about that at some other time. Uh, yeah, and Anthony Rendon, uh, you brought up a very good point about Anthony Rendon being worth almost six wins single-handedly. Uh, the Angels are going to have one of the best infields in baseball. I mean, if you think about it, David Fletcher, who was their third baseman for the bulk of last season, his defense is phenomenal. I don't know if you've ever gotten to see him play any defense, Andrew, but I mean, what he does with his glove is amazing. You have Adelton Simmons, who will be the best defensive shortstop in baseball. Can anybody argue that? No, I mean, he's been the best for a while now, and he's probably going to be the best for the foreseeable future as well. 
Yeah, probably. I mean, hopefully the uh, Angels can go ahead and re-sign him too. Because, I mean, if they do, having Rendon and Simmons for the next couple of years together is going to be great. I mean, you can forget about hitting the ball that way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so great three signings. Uh, this is great for Major League Baseball, especially because the winter meetings were so active. It's great for our city. You know, people are going to remember this winter meetings probably for years to come. I mean, I, I'd be it'd be hard pressed to probably think of any winter meetings that will be as big as this particular one was mostly because the free agents the next couple years aren't going to be as uh, you know the names won't be as big but uh, only time will tell i suppose another big development that happened in the winter meetings was the change to the major league baseball drug policy andrew would you like to uh, go ahead and uh, talk about this one Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. So there were two big changes to the drug policy. So, I mean, the first one is uh, Major League Baseball trying to respond to the opiate, opiate uh, epidemic, which is basically that they're going to start testing for opiates. And if players are uh, found to test positive, instead of being suspended or, you know, suspended without pay, they're going to be put into like a, a rehab program. That's what it looks like. And then, uh, you know, which is great, especially with, uh, you know, the recent tragedies that have happened surrounding that that use of that drug it it was definitely a well-needed move and then in uh you know kind of in response to that as well major league baseball also announced that they're going to stop testing major league or minor league players for marijuana so it also came out that they haven't been testing major league players for marijuana for a number of years now but they're going to extend that down to the minor leagues which if anyone follows the minor league suspensions you'll see that there's a lot of suspensions for marijuana use so those two kind of coupled together, it looks like it's going to be a huge change to the the drug culture of Major League Baseball. It's a, it was a well you know well needed move, in my opinion. Yeah, I absolutely love the uh, addition that they're making uh, for testing for opioids. Uh, you know that Tyler Skaggs tragedy was very 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 difficult. Um, I believe they're also going to start testing for cocaine. Did I hear that correctly, or did I read that wrong? No, I, I saw that as well. I haven't been able to find more details on that. So it'll be interesting yeah. to, to see how they uh, implement that. Yeah, what, I haven't yeah. gotten to see that either. But that's uh, in response to the uh, Fernandez situation is what, uh, I mean, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah, he was found to have cocaine in the system in the boat crash. It, it's interesting because when I was researching it, it looks like that's a, a particularly hard substance to test for. It only stays in your system for a couple of days. So I wonder if they're going to be doing hair tests or how they're going to go about you know, finding these substances. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully we get to uh, find out more about that as time goes on. And, I mean, I'm sure Major League Baseball does have uh, that whole situation already planned. If not, they probably wouldn't have announced it. But uh, it'll be really interesting what they do. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but, yeah, a good move on the opioids. Um, hopefully Major League Baseball can uh, prevent any kind of tragedies like that from happening again. Yeah. yeah. Uh, The marijuana thing is also very interesting. Uh, We live in a much different time, people. uh, You know, it's very different. Uh, I mean, I am fairly uneducated on the topic of marijuana, so I will stop from, uh, you know, stop myself (laughs) from saying anything until I do more research. Just, you know, as as a uh, podcast journalist, I think it wouldn't be fair to that community. Uh, Andrew, I don't know how much you know about. uh, Uh, Yeah, I I have a bit of background and research in it I, I don't partake myself but uh from what i've been doing in research it looks like it's a very effective pain management tool and it's gonna be really helpful as giving people an alternative to opioids uh you know for their pain management as the season goes on which should hopefully curve a lot of the addiction issues that are going on in the majors and in, and in the minor leagues yeah no i mean that would be great um and I think one of the best things is just going to be the fact that Major League Baseball isn't going to automatically suspend these players when and if they do get caught doing, uh, you know, any kind of opioids, you know, substance, um, because a lot of these people really do need help. You know, there's it's, it's you're very hard pressed to find somebody who wants to be in that situation. You know, most people are. that they're going to go out of their way to try to give a lot of these players the help that they need instead of just automatically, hey, you know, we're cutting you from your career. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, combating the the stigma that's attached to drug addiction is probably the the biggest thing that Major League Baseball is doing here. Instead of punishing these players and forcing them to kind of hide their addiction and find ways around testing, they're, you know, basically saying it's okay. You're still going to get your paycheck. You're not going to be staying at home. 
you know, basically doing nothing and, you know, taking, you know, being more inclined to feed your addictions. You're going to go to rehab. You're going to get help. You're still going to be part of the team. And that's, that's huge. That's a big step. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder like how different that situation would have made it for players like Josh Hamilton, who the sky was the limit just, you know, for whatever reason, he had his own demons to fight, which a lot of, you know, average people in this world do. So, you know, it, it really makes you think how different the world would be if a lot more companies did that. Yeah, it, it would definitely be way better. I mean, addiction is a very complex thing and people get caught up on things for a number of reasons and it's it's really hard to kick. And who knows if rehab is actually going to help a lot of these players, but it's definitely a start. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, either way, I think it's a very classy move by Major League Baseball to, you know, even try to, you know, yeah, yeah. help anybody, you know, in that situation. So, yeah, definitely. It'll be it'll be nice to hear that someone's going to rehab instead of finding out that, you know, they were found dead in a hotel room, which is a, a tragedy that, that can be avoided with more communication. Yeah. And, you know. As I've said on the podcast before, I'm also a big Angels fan, and I mean, yeah, that the Angels community take it very, very, very rough. You know, I mean, nothing's worse than hearing that one of your favorite players you watch play for years, you know, had a very had a death that could have been very preventable. So, you know, hats off to Major League Baseball. Um, you know, I I'm sure we're not the only two fans that appreciate uh, you know such a change. So, uh, once again, hats off to Major League Baseball for that. Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the Rule 5 draft, which also was part of the winter meetings. Um, Andrew, you want to go ahead and explain the uh, Rule 5 draft and what exactly uh, happens in that process and uh, what the uh, Padres had, quote-unquote, happened to them during that draft? Yeah, yeah. So, the Rule 5 draft is uh, implemented so that way uh, teams don't hoard uh, minor league talent and keep them from coming up to the majors. So, basically, uh, what happens is, is that you'll have players that are eligible for the Rule 5 draft, and a team has to put those players on their 40-man roster. And anyone that isn't put on the 40-man roster is eligible to be picked up through a draft process from other teams. And if a, a player is taken by that team, the player is immediately removed from the roster and transferred to the new team. That team has to keep that player on the 40-man roster all year, and if they don't, then that player gets returned back to the original team. So it's a way for uh, players that were, you know, blocked by stars on teams to have a chance to make the major league roster. Perfect. And uh, yeah, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say that was a perfect description. Oh, yeah. And and then, uh, you know, it's a two step process. Uh, a lot of people don't know that there's actually a second uh, part of the rule five draft, which is the triple A rule five. So if you're a triple uh, A rule five player that's picked you can go to your new team you're signed on to the new triple a team and that player doesn't have to stay on the roster they can be sent down to double a they're just permanently on the new team all right so the Padres actually lost uh two players in the draft one to the major league portion which was uh trevor mcgill he's a high strikeout triple a pitcher left-handed uh, big guy six eight uh last year he actually had 12.7 strikeouts per nine innings so he looks like a really promising big arm so he'll probably stick on the uh, roster for, you know, the entirety of 2020 if he's able to, you know, show that he can stick to the major league level. So that, you know, that's kind of a big loss, especially as the Padres are trying to revamp their bullpen this year. And then the second name they lost was uh, Davey Mendez, who's a uh, kind of a live arm, throws like 96 to 98. He's uh, 24 years old, hasn't quite learned how to put it together in the lower minors. He's still walking close to five batters per nine innings. But uh, I'm sure, you know, the, the A's would love to develop him long term and see if they can get him into their bullpen long term. So and the Padres ended up taking uh, Brady Feigl from the Rangers. So he's a left handed reliever, did pretty well last year, had uh, close to 11 strikeouts per nine innings in AAA, only 23 innings. But he had a 3-1-3 ERA in a really strong hitters league. So he definitely has potential to stay in the bullpen if he can, you know, if he can hang with the major leagues. So definitely uh, some potential and some interest, you know, interesting moves from the Padres in this uh, Rule 5 draft. Yeah, and I mean, the uh, Padres definitely have a little bit of work to do in the bullpen. So, I mean, it'll be exciting to see, um, I mean, what they can go ahead and bring up from the uh, minor leagues this year. So, yeah, definitely. I, and the Rule 5 draft combined. So hopefully, you know, we can uh, get some uh, bullpen guys to help out Kirby Yates. Yeah, yeah. You know, if Pomerantz turns out to be as good as he, he was last year down the stretch, having him and Yates and then you have uh, 
uh, you know, Andres Munoz, uh, you know, coming in, throwing 101 miles an hour. You have Baez. There's a lot of potential for the Padres to potentially have, you know, one of the best bullpens in baseball. So I'm pretty excited for 2020. Do you think uh, Drew Pomerantz uh, does a couple of spot starts here and there uh, when guys like uh, Chris Paddock or maybe Joey Lucchese might get up against, uh, you know, inning limits? You know, uh, maybe, but I, I think it'll be more of like an opener, like how the Rays were doing it last year. I think we might see him for like the first three innings tops. Okay, yeah, I mean, I know the uh, Angels did a little bit of that last year too, so. It's a, uh, it's definitely an interesting uh, strategy, having an opener. Yeah, yeah, it looks to be really effective. I mean, the teams that did it, they, you know, they have a lower ERA, they had a higher win rate. So it, it looks like a long-term strategy that's going to be here to stay. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how that works in the National League. You would, in theory, your opener wouldn't be able to pitch more than three innings, assuming that all three of your uh, hitters are getting out right away. Because, I mean, most guys don't want uh, their bullpen guy hitting unless it's uh, Michael Lorenzen from the Reds. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, I, I you, you would good. think so, but, like, uh, I, I think most pitchers are just such poor hitters that it doesn't matter if it's a bullpen guy or a starting pitcher. I guess that's true. I mean, not everyone can – not every pitcher can hit as well as Bartolo Colon. Yeah, right. Yeah. How you James enough to <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, I still can't believe Cologne hit that home run against us. That will uh, never be lived down. It'll just be there forever. Yeah, it's all right. Big game James uh, probably uh, will never forget that day either. But, I mean, hey, thanks for Fernando Tatis Jr. We appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, thanks for that and so long. Yeah, right. Um, So while we're on the topic of the Rule 5 draft, uh, former Rule 5 uh, picks that uh, have been, uh, quote, unquote, uh, you know, famous as far as baseball standards, uh, Shane Victorino. That's a pretty big name. He had a fairly successful career playing for uh, quite a few teams. Uh, what, the uh, the Dodgers, uh, the Padres, uh, the Phillies. Yeah. I think it was the Red Sox as well? Yeah, Red Sox as well. He had a late career resurgence with them. Uh, mostly the Phillies, though. He was, uh, you know, the flying Hawaiian over there. Had a great career. Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, I remember he played at, like, 20 games as an angel, too. That was uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dan Elko, Rule yeah. 5. Uh and then uh, arguably the two biggest names, uh, one of them being Josh Hamilton. Uh, we talked a little bit about him uh, momentarily. And uh, Johan Santana. Yeah, yeah, two great. Uh, definitely the biggest names I could think of in the Rule 5. I mean, Johan Santana was, until he became injured with the Mets, was, seemed to be on a uh, Hall of Fame trajectory. He had uh, multiple Cy Youngs. He uh, had the, you know, the no-hitter with the Mets. Just was great. And then... And that no-hitter, he threw, what, 130 pitches, uh, had the injury, never was the same after that. Yeah, I mean, you're probably not going to see too many pitchers throwing 130 pitches these days. No, and for good reason. That's a, a great way to get someone <laughs> hurt. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, uh, my arm kind of tickles, Coach. Yeah, yeah it's uh, all black and blue and swelling. <laughs> Yeah, it's literally falling off. I, <laughs> yeah. well, what do they have that's more intense than Tommy John surgery? <laughs> yeah. Can you just replace my arm? Yeah, they did it for Anakin. <laughs> yeah, you know, and uh, going back to Shane Victorino, that was a that was a definitely a bust move for the Padres. They picked him in the Rule Five draft and only kept him for about eighty plate appearances. You know, they would end up returning him, and then he would go on to be you know, one of the better players in baseball for about a five to year, six year stretch. So it would have been nice if they could have kept him. <laughs> I mean, I can say that about a lot of players, you know, Trey Turner. I mean, you know what? I, I'm just going to not go on, go down that uh, rabbit hole right now. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely not. Uh, we can probably fill 10 podcast episodes with all the players that came through uh, the Padres and went on to have much better careers. We might have to, if we don't start making some moves here. <laughs> I know, Come on, right? <laughs> <laughs> the winning yeah, is if you're listening we, we could use some more trades <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, and that's a perfect segue to our next topic um still kind of connected to the winter meetings here what are the padres currently tied to so of course david price everyone's favorite pitcher from uh what year is this i'm just kidding david <laughs> price uh, is the red Sox right now he did sign the largest free agent uh deal for a pitcher at the time uh, he has now been eclipsed by uh, two pitchers, right? Steven Strasburg oh, yeah. and Garrett Cole. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was the seven-year, what, $217 million contract at the time. 
Yeah, yeah, it was uh, something that probably should have never happened. But uh, David Price will probably be wearing another jersey by uh, opening day. That's my quote-unquote hot take. Can't exactly call it a hot take because almost everybody's telling you that right now. But uh, you can just about book that. Uh, Whit Merrifield is also connected. Uh, He's on the uh, Royals right now, correct? Yep, correct. Yeah, plays second base and uh, outfield, you know, splits his time pretty evenly. Yeah, I think the the big rumor on that is that uh, they want uh, Will Myers to be part of that deal. But – uh, you yeah. know, the Royals drafted Will Myers, so you never know. Maybe they'd want him back. Yeah. Uh, there's. I mean, if you, anyone that follows the Royals will know that they're not big on taking on large contracts. I couldn't imagine them taking on, uh, you know, $22 million a year, less the Padres ate almost all of it, and then sent them a, a whole list of their top prospects. And a Hodad's burger. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah, it's probably the uh, biggest piece there. And then uh, Starling Marte is also connected to uh, a couple of Padres trades. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, a couple more names that were coming out today. That was a uh, Madison Bumgarner and uh, Dallas Keuchel were both linked to the Padres. Uh, it, there you go. Yeah. So I mean, it doesn't look like a there's a lot of conversations going on, but I imagine for either of them to come on board, you would have to move Will Myers' contract and. A lot of that payroll. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, not a lot of people are going to be willing to take Will Myers' uh, contract for what he's doing right now. So, you know, you're going to have to eat a lot of the money regardless, whether he's sitting on your bench or on, you know, playing on another team. Uh, now, out of those uh, five players you named, you mentioned uh, David Price, Whit Merrifield, Sterling Marte, Dallas Keuchel, Madison Bumgarner. Uh, which one of those five would you think would be the best fit for the Padres in the current uh, situation? Uh, I would I would probably say Marte. Uh, last year, I mean, this next year we're only projected to have about 0.9 wins above replacement for center field. So Marte is a pretty solid three wins above replacement. You know, he plays a little bit below average on defense as of last year, as he gets older and loses a step. But if you were to put up a you know a three three wins above replacement, getting an extra you know potential two wins next year with also the additional roster upgrades that we already have, that that would put us pretty close to playoff contention. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, with the young guys they have, you know, you never really know. So the sky truly is the limit with a lot of these younger guys. Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. Um, So we are about to head to our uh, last segment, which is uh, what everyone's been waiting for, the quote unquote bust. So we will be right back after this. All right. And we are back. All right, so we are going to go ahead and get to the best part of this episode, the moment you guys have all been waiting for, the biggest quote-unquote busts in Padres history. Yes, we do hate calling them that. Yes, these are people, too. Yes, a lot of these guys are guys that I really did enjoy playing. A lot of other Padres fans enjoyed playing, but they just never really reached their potential like we expected them to. So... One last time, for those of you guys who might have forgotten, the original post said, name your favorite player that you enjoyed but never amounted to anything. So, the players we're going to be talking about today, Ben Davis, Josh Barfield, Matt Bush, Kyle Blanks, and uh, Donovan Tate. So, uh... Andrew, you want to go ahead and get started with uh, Ben Davis and uh, Josh Barfield in uh, either order you're uh, comfortable with? Yeah, yeah. I'd like to start with Ben Davis, who I, I think is, in, at least in my opinion, the biggest uh, draft bust of the Padres history. I know a lot of people would come out and say Matt Bush, but uh, Ben Davis at the time was uh, drafted second overall in 1995, was signed to a ridiculously high signing bonus, which in the 90s was, uh, you know, for him, $1.2 million, which was a lot of money. He was in a, a stack draft that had a uh, Hall of Famer Roy Holiday, potentially future Hall of Famer Carlos Beltran. Uh, there was Darren Erstad. There was Matt Morris. A lot of great players were going in the draft. Uh, Todd Helton was also in that draft. Kerry Wood was also in that draft. One of the best drafts of all time. And so Padres take second overall, Ben Davis, uh, a catcher out of high school who many considered to be one of the best high school prospects that they've ever seen. Uh, he goes into the minors does pretty well in rookie ball, and in the first prospect rankings of 1996, comes out out of the gate ranked number 10 overall. I, this guy was hyped up beyond belief. 
And as he's going through the minors, he's actually doing pretty well. Uh, you know, 1997 with Rancho Cucamonga, he was uh, hit 30 doubles, 17 home runs, 770 OPS. He's already showing some great defensive skills. Uh, he's throwing out nearly 40% of runners. Uh, the next year, he takes an even bigger step forward. He uh, has an 812 OPS. He's starting to walk. Yeah, he's getting on base a lot, hitting for power. He throws out 57% of runners from behind the plate. He's uh, moving up in the draft ranking, in the prospect rankings, and the hype around him is starting to get to a fever pitch with Padre fans. But uh, he would get to the majors, and there was one big problem with his game. Uh, he couldn't hit major league pitching. None of his minor league stats ever transitioned. And so as he gets to the pros, he just falls flat on his face. Uh, ends up uh, you know, struggling with the Padres for a number of years. Is never able to put it back together. And it looked like that his, uh, you know, his self-esteem was just crushed because he would go back down to the minors and his numbers that he was having that with great success before the majors just never transitioned again. He was struggling in the minors, couldn't put it back together. Uh, ended up going from team to team for a couple of years, and his uh, biggest claim to fame was probably breaking up Kurt Schilling's no-hitter with a drag bunt in the uh, ninth inning. And so that was uh, kind of what he ended his career on as uh, being considered a dirty player and uh, kind of living in infamy. I mean, now he went on to be the color commentator for the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. So, you know, he's doing well for himself in the baseball community. I'm glad he has that going for him, but yeah, definitely a bust for the Padres. And then uh, moving on next, uh, I mean, unless you want to say something on Ben Davis. We, uh, we, Do you happen to know who the uh, first overall pick was that year? Yeah, that was uh, Darren Erstad. You know, he would have a great career with the Angels, as I'm sure you know, as an Angels fan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's, it's it's funny. I mean, you know, I'm as both an Angels and a Padres fan, I, we've had some very disappointing drafts on both ends there. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at that draft that year, it's uh, it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, you have Darren Erstad going first overall, th- throws up 32 wins above replacement for his career. Uh, Jose Cruz going third overall with uh, the Mariners. He has 20 wins above replacement for his career. Uh, you have Kerry Wood with the Cubs going fourth overall. And, you know, everyone knows what he did that rookie year, uh, 1998. So, you know, throws 20 strikeouts. He gets a stacked Astros lineup, one of the most dominant rookie campaigns ever for a pitcher. Unfortunately, had Tommy John surgery back in the day when Tommy John surgeries weren't quite as, uh, you know, well done as they are now. Uh, had a number of injury uh, concerns for a couple of years, came back and had a pretty good career, starting pitcher for the Cubs, and then went on to have a few good years in relief as well. So, I mean, it was a nice career. But, yeah, I mean, Todd Helton, Roy Holiday, great draft. And, of course, the Padres get Ben Davis, which, you know, we'll get more to uh, with Matt Bush as well, which was another stacked draft where the Padres busted in a draft. And then, uh, you know, next I would like to talk about uh, – Josh Barfield, who is kind of a enigmatic guy. He uh, was taken in the fourth round for, by the Padres out of high school, had a, a pretty decent minor league career, ended up uh, having some top prospect rankings. I think in 2004, he was ranked 20th by Baseball America, and then uh, 2005, he was 45th, and went on to, you know, with the Padres to have a, a pretty good rookie season for, you know, all things considered. He hit 280, had a 741 OPS. His defense that was always considered a problem wasn't a problem. He's uh, actually slightly above average on defense. Ended up putting up a uh, three wins above replacement. Uh, a lot of people thought they had found their long-term answer at second base. And so in that offseason, when he was traded for uh, Kevin Kuzminoff, it was kind of seen as a surprise. And yet a lot of pundits that were saying that the Padres were making the same mistake they did with the young Roberto Alomar when they traded him. And so there was a lot of parallels. And as you, as everyone knows, that's uh, followed Josh Barfield. That didn't happen. He went to the Indians and just completely fell apart. Uh, none of his power translated. His batting average dropped from 280 to 243. He could no longer get on base. His on-base percentage dropped from about 320 to 270. And he just never really could recover. And there wasn't really any signs why. There's no reports of injury. Uh, there was no reports of any clubhouse issues that he was having. He just all of a sudden just couldn't produce like he was his rookie year and just never quite put it back together again. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, I feel like we see that an awful lot with Padres. They'll, you know, they'll flourish here in San Diego, 
And it almost seems like the second they get traded or go elsewhere, they just aren't the same. I mean, we saw that with uh, more or less with Jake Peavy when he went to uh, Chicago. Sure, he went on to win two World Series, but I mean, he was never the same pitcher that he was in 2007 here in San Diego. Or we saw that with, um, I mean, Khalil Green with the Cardinals, um, you know, Chris Denorfia, Will Venable. I mean, you can name a lot yeah. of different Padres who just weren't the same. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's definitely I mean, there's definitely those Padres. And then we all know about the Padres that go on to have magnificent careers after they leave the Padres. It's it's interesting with Josh Barfield is that at the time, Petco Park was the most extreme pitchers park probably in history of baseball. So you're looking at splits as a rookie and he had a 640 OPS at home and an 840 OPS on the road. So a lot of people were expecting him to be this like elite hitting second baseman who could run. He can get on base. He could hit for power. And they thought he was going to anchor the Indians for a long time, and it, it just never, you know, materialized. Compare that to, like, Jake Peavy, who was having some injury problems with the Padres. I believe when he was traded to the White Sox, he was actually on the DL at the time. And then, uh, you know, you can, you know, name a number of players were, like, Khalil Green, who had well-noted anxiety issues and was never able to kind of move on from that and have the career that people hoped for him. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, they, they all had their own situation and stuff that, uh, you know, affected their careers. But, you know, you still never want to see a fan favorite here in San Diego go elsewhere and just, you know, quote, unquote, not amount to anything. No, yeah. And, it, and it's a, it's really unfair to say not amount to anything because they're, you know, they're major, they're in the major leagues. That's the highest level of baseball that you can do. And it's unbelievably hard to stay at that level and compete at the highest level. So, I mean, just for these guys to make it there and to and to produce what they did at the time is an amazing accomplishment, and that shouldn't be taken away at all. But if, at the same yeah, time, there's – yeah. You know, people just take for granted the, uh, you know, the Albert Pujols is uh, the Mike Trouts, you know, the Buster Posey's, you know, insert player who's been here for a long time. You know, people take those guys for granted all the time, and, you know, they just li- they just pay attention to the Kevin Kuzminovs. You know, yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, these guys made it to the majors, and that's that's an amazing accomplishment. And but I mean, on the other side, there's expectations for the career that you've had and what you're going to do leading forward. Yeah. So just huge signing bonuses. Yeah, definitely. Especially now when you're talking like Garrett Cole, nine years, 324 million. If you were to go and to the Yankees and put up a five ERA and a 5.5 FIP, and his strikeouts per nine drop from you know 13.7 to to nine. That you know, you you never know. <laughs> yeah, people wouldn't be so nice and say, well, at least he made the majors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely not. I mean, people in New York would be out for his head, all in the cash cab. Yeah, yeah, and like, and looking at the Mets with Sepedes, uh, right? I think that's how you say it. Uh, he just, you know, with his last two injury years, he just had to restructure his contract and renegotiate that. So he's going down from his uh, what guaranteed, I think, twenty-seven million to. Uh, a performance-based contract where he can make up to 20 million. So, I mean, there's definitely expectations for how you're going to perform in the majors, and that can't be left unsaid. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, uh, so let's go ahead and uh, I, I will dive into uh, Kyle Blanks. Now, the fact that we've been talking about Kyle Blanks uh, is incredible. Kyle Blanks was a 40, uh, 42nd round pick. He was the 1,241st overall pick in that year's draft. So, I mean, the fact that we're even talking about him right now is incredible. I mean, most guys who get picked that low never make the majors. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I can only think of uh, a couple, like, uh, you know, Mike Piazza, right? He was, uh, I think, the very last pick in his draft. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I remember seeing a stat about that. Uh, I, it might have even been with Kyle Blanks. I was at a stadium, and I remember reading that, like, there's only, like, three or four players who have made the majors who are picked out low. I don't know. I, I know the odds are definitely not in your favor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely a lot. Not getting anything. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Canada, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, he was the Padres minor league player of the year in uh, 2008. Uh, so, you know, obviously expectations were high. If you are the 2008, uh, minor league player of the year obviously expectations are built um his best season in the minors was actually in 2008 he had a 325 batting average had 160 hits 20 home runs 107 rbis that sounds like a power hitter if i've ever heard one. Oh yeah uh, definitely 
So the expectations were high for him to be a power hitter. Um, so 2013, if I had to pick his best year as a Padre, it probably was 2013. He had 308 at-bats. He had a batting average of 243, eight home runs, 35 RBIs, and non-base percentage of 305. Now, those numbers do not sound like a power hitter by any stretch of the imagination. So you can kind of see where, you know, people's mentality on Kyle Blank started to change. You know, from such promise in the Miami 2008. And I get it. I get it. It's double A. Double A pitching is very different than having to face, you know, Justin Verlander in the majors. I get it. His career, he was only worth a war of four. He only had 308 at-bats. Or sorry, um, uh, wrong. Uh, he had 199 career hits, 33 home runs, and a batting average of 241. So certainly not where you want to be if you're no. Kyle Blanks. No, yeah, he, he's a, he's a perfect representation of how minor league numbers just don't you know translate to the major league level. I mean, what he went down from a 300 hitter in the minors with a 903 OPS for his career down to a 241 hitter in the majors with a 738 OPS. So definitely a poster child for that. Yeah, absolutely. But then again, you know, for guys in that situation, there's certainly just as many guys who in the minors just were not amazing, yet they got to the major leagues. And whoa, where'd that come from? You know, it happens in both, you know, extremes. Oh, yeah. Robinson Cano is a perfect example. He was uh, lackluster in the minors, to say the least. He was, uh, you know, a middling prospect, putting up around like a 750 OPS and then now until his uh, steroid suspension looked like he was on track to be a Hall of Famer. And then uh, you have guys like, was it a Dave Winfield never played a single game in the minors? Yeah, yeah, he did the the Mike Leak jump, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, you never know. You never know. (laughs) Especially with the minors. It's always a uh, mixed bag. All right. So next is going to be Donovan Tate. Now, there really isn't too much to talk about as far as Donovan Tate's uh, baseball career. So he was drafted third overall in 2009. That's certainly another yikes now that we think about it, right? He had a sack bonus of $6.7 million. So uh, that's another yikes. That's a lot of money for a uh, what ended up being what you got out of Donovan Tate. Uh, His first two seasons, he went down with uh, multiple surgeries. He had a surgery for a a sports hernia. He had a broken jaw. He had a sprained shoulder. Oh, and not to mention he uh, dabbled with some substance abuse. So uh, good times. Good times if you're uh, you're done. Yeah, Yeah, right after he gets drafted, he's riding an ATV, falls off, and breaks his jaw and immediately just derails his, his entire career moving forward. Hey, I mean, when you have uh, $6.7 million as a kid, I mean, what else would you spend your money on ATVs, right? Yeah. ATVs and broken jaws. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That that one hurts, right? That was the 2009 draft, and uh, yes. I'm, sure, I'm sure you know which angel was taken in that draft. Uh, no, no, I, I, I don't. Uh, Rick, oh, Green, no, he, Rick Green, right? No, it was uh, Mike Trout uh, taking – I never heard of him. Yeah, right? I, I haven't heard of him either. I heard, uh, you know, he's okay, I guess. Just okay. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, the Angels did draft Grant Green that day too. They <laughs> yeah. Drafted right before Mike Trout. It's it's crazy to actually think about all the players who were drafted before Mike Trout. I mean, there's a lot of general managers who wish they could redo that one, right? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, we got like what Kyle Gibson, Shelby Miller, AJ Pollock, uh, Alex White. You know, a bunch of players that they. Steven Strasburg. Oh yeah, yeah, Strasburg. I mean. Sure, the Nationals after last year aren't too upset with having Strasburg. Oh no, no, absolutely. <laughs> but I mean, do you think they would still take Mike Trout over Steven Strasburg if they would have uh, been able to look into a, uh, you know? Oh yeah, a, I, a crystal. Yeah, I, I think it, I don't think there's any doubt that they would have taken Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah, I mean they they wouldn't have needed Bryce Harper. <laughs> That's for oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so back to Donovan Tate real quick. He was released by the Padres in 2015, signed by the Dodgers in 2016, and he did end up playing six minor league seasons for the Dodgers before uh, he finally decided that, uh, yeah, baseball is not for him anymore. He uh, was also a pretty decent college quarterback, right, if I remember correctly? Yeah, he was a, he was a prospect for uh, for being a quarterback in college. And I, I forgot he was – who was he committed to again? I'll have to look that up really quick. I don't know, probably someone like University of Georgia or something like that. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. And then, uh, oh, yeah, yep. Uh, it looks like he was linked to Georgia. And I didn't know this, but he, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then in 2017, he actually returned to college and, and joined uh, the Arizona Wildcats football team as a quarterback. That was hilarious. I can't believe I actually got that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Well, my cat just decided that he's going to start uh, rubbing his head on the microphone. Yeah, cats will do that. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, talk about arguably the most famous, uh, Matt Bush. So Matt Bush was uh, obviously supposed to be the next big thing here in San Diego. And if you mention his name to any Padres fan, they're just about all going to cringe. Uh, it's, you know, <laughs> just about the biggest nightmare possible for the uh, Padres. And why is that? Well, he was drafted in 2004. Let's just go over a couple of the names drafted. Keep in mind, Matt Bush was the first overall pick. Okay? So, who was drafted a second? Uh, Andrew, you want to go ahead and uh, give us that answer? Yeah, uh, Justin Verlander was uh, taken second overall. <laughs> also, never heard of her. Yeah, definitely uh, don't know who that Cy Young winner is. Yeah, right. Okay, so a couple of other big names. I mean, Homer Bailey, granted, hasn't had the most amazing career, but, I mean, he's had two no-hitters. Padres have had zero, so, I mean, hey, I would have taken that. Uh, Neil Walker, Jared Weaver, Billy Butler, Stephen Drew. Uh, let me see. Who else? Uh, Phil Hughes, pretty big name. Yeah, so, I mean, there's some very, very, very decent players who were drafted in that first round where – you almost just kind of look at yourself and you're like, really? Yeah, like it, 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 that was a very deep draft, it turned out. I mean, even later in the draft, you had like Hunter Pence going in the second round, Dustin Pedroia going in the second round. Uh, just, I mean, it couldn't have been more unfortunate to take to take Bush in the first overall pick. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, hindsight's 2020. Um, so yeah. Matt Bush never got higher than AA as a Padre. He was uh, traded to the Blue Jays in 2009. Uh, he never played. Uh, he went to the Tampa Bay Rays and was released in 2012 uh, after he got caught uh, drunk driving. Uh, I don't know if that was his first uh, incident with that either. I think he might have had a couple prior to that. Yeah, he had, he had a long uh, long history with run-ins with the law, it looked like. Yeah, he was sentenced to uh, 51 months in prison. Uh, he only served 39 uh, before getting released. Once he was released, he was signed by the Texas Rangers, where he went on to have a pitching career. Uh, his pitching career was uh, fairly average. Uh, you know, he was not awful, but, I mean, I'm sure at this point the Padres would have taken a pitching career. They would have wanted something for that draft. Um, real quick about Matt Bush's uh, pitching career. He was 10-6, and six, had an ERA of uh, 335. Uh, he had 138 strikeouts, and he pitched for the Texas Rangers from uh, 2016 to uh, 2018. So, you know, a, a very average uh, bullpen career. But, I mean, hey, at least he was able to turn his career into something good for him. I mean, regardless of the feelings that a lot of Padre fans would feel towards him for, you know, that draft, it's, it's essentially not his fault. Um, and I always cheer for somebody to turn their life around. I don't, you know, I, you you just have to feel bad for somebody like that who's once again going through any kind of addiction, whether it's alcohol or drugs, and you know, whenever they can go ahead and uh, change their life. I mean, you always got to cheer for that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think Matt Bush was just really put in an unfortunate spot because I, as any Padre fan knows from that era, we had a. A very uh, cheap ownership group, and he was. They prioritized uh, signing someone for cheap over signing the best talent available, which everyone at the time understood to be Verlander. So they take Matt Bush uh, just because they can sign him for a lower deal, and they bypass on Verlander because they didn't want to pay for his price tag. So they unfairly put this uh, number one overall status, high pressured pick on a guy who no one projected to go anywhere near the top overall pick. So, I mean, I, w I would definitely put his failure more on the Padres' ownership than actually Matt Bush himself. And, I, you know, I, I would say, you know, he's turning out to do pretty well with the Rangers. I think he was injured last year. 
and uh, only had like a short rehab stint before the season ended. But he, I mean, that first year, right, he came up in 2016. He has a 2.5 ERA, uh, nine strikeouts per nine innings, 4.36 strikeout to walk ratio. Uh, shows a lot of potential, throws nearly 100. Um, you know, kind of had, you know, it, not such a good year the year after. Um, ERA goes up, you know, 1.2 over the previous season. The next year he's hurt. Uh, this last year he was hurt again. So, I mean, hopefully he can stick with it and keep it together. It'd be a good success story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the uh, the uh, E60s if you like to watch, right? You know, the underdog stories. So, <laughs> yeah, hey, definitely. If he can pull it off, you know, all power to him. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, like good luck to him. Uh, now that's what we have as far as the uh, the quote unquote bus thing. I mean, we can in theory, keep going on forever and ever. I think uh, what would be fun is uh, to cover something like the worst trades in Padres history. We, I'm sure Andrew and I can do <laughs> a uh, podcast a day for uh, three years about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a long and storied history of just pain and suffering on that regard. Yeah, probably. Uh, wait, uh, real quick. Uh, I'm going to ask you, who was the uh, the Padres owner at the time of uh, Matt Bush's signing? Was that a uh, Jeff Morad? Uh, I think it was the I think it was the Moores, the Moore family. Morris, right. Morris, yeah, that's what I meant. Because Morad was uh, right afterward, right? Uh, Phil Mickelson was part of the ownership group. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was a uh, Morad was the you know the sports agent, right? He owned the agency, uh, was part of the Diamondbacks, left them, became part of the owner of the Padres which also wasn't a very nice time in uh, Padres history either. So, I mean, yeah, they, it was, uh, it was pretty rough there for a solid <laughs> like 15 years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, up until this ownership group, the largest, uh, you know, contract the Padres had ever given out to was somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, 50 million underneath that. It was a uh, Jed Jericho in the $30 million range. And now we have uh, Machado at 300 million, uh, Eric Hosmer, who a lot of people aren't, you know, happy that we signed i mean we still opened up the checkbook for him we're you know gonna be paying him 20 million plus a season going forward i mean no matter which way you look at it i mean for the last two years the padres got arguably the most desirable free agent of that class regardless of how it's turned out that's not the point the point is that for years the padres ownership as you said had been stiff arming the fans seemingly you know they didn't care it was all about making money it was all about you going out there buying a ton of Ballast Point, Baked Bear, <laughs> whatever you're buying at the stadium, that's what it was about. So yeah. the fact that they even went out there and got two of the most desirable free agents in their respective year, you still got to tip your hat to ownership. You know, and I wasn't the biggest fan of the of uh, Ron Fowler to start off. I mean, because his first couple years were also fairly rough, right? I don't think we had too much going on until, what, three years ago? Yeah, and I, I think like the the very first year I could think of was 2015 God. when yeah when AJ Preller <laughs> comes in and uh, he pushes them to you know strip the farm system so losing Trey Turner, uh, losing uh, Joe Ross, uh, a lot of what people thought was the future. Max Fried over at uh, or Fried uh, over at uh, Atlanta now who just had a great season. So uh, you know and then we brought in Matt Kemp who turned out to be a disaster, couldn't play defense. We brought in Will Myers who we're now, uh, you know, kind yeah, of stuck Will with Myers, that. Yeah, all right. Yeah, I mean, I, I was excited at the time, but he hasn't turned out to be the player that everyone thought he would be. We got Justin Upton, who did not want to be here and made that very clear <laughs> through his actions. <laughs> yeah, he played great, but yeah, definitely, uh, yeah, he was he was gone pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you ever, did you go to any Potter games that year? Yeah, he, he definitely uh, seemed pretty lackluster out there. His brother seemed way more excited. Keeping his head down almost the entire <laughs> time, never acknowledged anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. He was sulking a little bit. But, I mean, hey, he was arguably the best player on the team that season. <laughs> yeah, at least he didn't let his performance slip. He did well. He made the All-Star team that year, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he, he did great for us. I mean, yeah, he, he yeah, was he definitely was, our... good. I mean, he got his payday because he went to a Detroit and got paid, and then got traded to Anaheim, and then re-signed by the Angels, and he got paid there again. So, I mean, you know, he's went on to have a decent career. And in all fairness, he is 
arguably a top 10 hitter in baseball, I would say. You know, he's he's a great hitter. Yeah, I mean, at least when he's playing at the top of his game, that's that's someone that's always just had way more potential than he's performed at. And, you know, hopefully one day before he starts uh, rapidly declining, I know he was injured last year, he could just have that that monster one season where just everything clicks. I know he had one when he was younger with the Diamondbacks, but it'd be cool to see him put it together again. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's a great Great player. I mean, he, he's a very nice guy. I've had a chance to meet him a couple times. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, he, he's a great guy. Um, all right. So that's just about going to do it out of us. Uh, once again, guys, thank you guys so much for joining us here on the Padres Mission podcast. Andrew, thanks for coming on. Andrew's going to be my new co-host. He's great. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to him as much as I enjoy having him on. Um, Andrew, do you have anything uh, to close out with? Oh, yeah. Just, uh, you know, thanks for having me on, Fernando. I really appreciate it. And I'm excited for 2020's Padres baseball. I'm excited to, to talk to you guys on a weekly basis. Uh, one, uh, one closing thought. Uh, what What's the next move you want to see the Padres do? We're going to keep that uh, nice and brief. But, uh, yeah, what, what's the next immediate move you want to see done, uh, let's say, by the end of the year? So by the time 2020 starts, what do you want AJ Perler to pull the trigger on? I I would love to see him bring in a center fielder, maybe Starling Marte. Uh, center fielder is our weakest position right now for our projections in 2020, and getting a a more stable performer out of that spot would be our biggest boost to our playoff chances. And I want to see us make the playoffs. I uh, I, I kind of want to see some uh, some action in the bullpen. Um, you know, the bullpen last season was uh, you know. Below average, right? Uh, do you have the? Uh, yeah, it was. It was yep. if you, especially if you take out Kirby Yates. But I, I do think though that by the end of the season, uh, with some of the guys that we brought up from the minors, it kind of stabilized. So I mean, I, I think people are gonna be surprised next year. I think I think the Padres are looking at a top ten bullpen definitely, and if people perform and take that step forward, you're talking maybe top five. Oh yeah, I sure hope so. I mean, it's growing pains, people. I mean, when you have the top farm system in baseball it's gonna mean growing pains you know and it's gonna be really interesting to see what aj does is he gonna want that hot talent lava to come up and you know finally do its thing yeah did you just chuckle when i said hot talent lava? <laughs> yeah i love this i love this thing i never get tired of it it's the best <laughs> you know so i mean it's gonna be interesting i mean do they you know allow the uh, the players to come up and kind of do their thing or do they just trade them all away and you know, try to get to pieces. I mean, I kind of hope there's a medium, you know, there, there's a median there. You know, you need to be able to make moves to help your team out, which we've kind of seen. But then again, you also need some of these guys to come up and, you know, see what they can do. You know, you've had guys like Austin Hedges and Hunter Renfro who were part of the previous ownership group who didn't really, you know, who didn't amount or haven't yet the way we've wanted to. We saw a little bit from Hunter last year. We'll see if he can sustain it. But we haven't seen it yet with Austin Hedges. I mean, Austin Hedges' run prevention is arguably the best in baseball. He just doesn't produce very many runs. So maybe that's another thing the Padres should focus on this year. Maybe try to get a an offensive catcher to balance the defensive catcher in Austin Hedges. And I understand what we have in uh, Mejia – but, you know, he's still fairly unproven as well. Andrew, any thoughts? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. I'm, I mean, I'm hoping that Austin Hedges takes that step forward as a hitter. He, I mean, he was ridiculously bad last year. He, he was so far below average. I think he was somewhere in the vicinity of negative 20 runs on offense. But, I mean, the year before, he just came from, uh, you know, a 700 OPS, 230 average, which on paper doesn't look like a great offensive season. But when you're talking about the best defensive catcher in baseball, especially with pitch framing, uh, that's all you need. And you're talking about a guy that's going to be somewhere between, you know, three and four wins above replacement. But uh, Mejia, I, I think he's definitely got the hit tool. Uh, end of the year, he was doing much better than he was in the beginning. Seemed to put it all together. Uh, if his defense can catch up, that would be great. But yeah, you're right. The, the catcher is definitely an area that we can improve on and get some more stability. I, I know the Padres have been linked to uh, Wilson Contreras with the Cubs. Uh, that's a possibility that would, Probably cost an arm and a leg, though. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, time will tell. We'll see what A.J. Preller has in store. Well, that, for real this time, is going to do it out of us, folks. <laughs> uh, you guys so much for joining us here on the Padres Mission Podcast. 
My name is Fernando Mendez. And I'm Andrew Ciccarelli. Thank you guys so much for joining us uh, one last time. Um, obviously, you guys stumbled upon this podcast, but uh, we are available just about wherever podcasts can be found. So make sure to uh, tell your friends if you guys have the moment to do so. You know, text a friend about our podcast, email a friend about our podcast, put it on Facebook, wherever you guys can go ahead and share our podcast. We would really appreciate that. Also, if you guys have uh, Apple Podcasts, if you can leave us uh, a five-star review, that would also be greatly appreciated. If we need to do something else to earn that five-star review, by all means, email us, podcast at gmail.com. Give us any kind of feedback. We want to do whatever we can to earn that five-star review, not beg you for it. So go ahead. We're going to do our best to make this the best show possible. One last time, guys. Thank you very much for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day or night. See you guys real soon on Monday. <laughs>